Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to be talking about trying new things. Something we've talked about before, surely, but also something I've been thinking a lot about as we try to come out of a pandemic and do other things. And, you know, sometimes it's not like every time you want to try something new or you want some kind of novelty, you can just move somewhere else because that's impractical for so many reasons. <laughs> and so I'm trying, trying to keep it a little smaller and think about kind of like the same way I approach New Year's resolutions is like try something new and try something new that you think you might want to add as a thing in your life, but you don't really have much experience with. And what we have decided to do, Derek and I, is we are going to go see our very first, as adults, opera. This will be the first time I go to a real thing, go see an opera. Being your friend, a person who uh, <laughs> studied opera, you would think that I would have done this a long, long, long time ago. But when we were talking about different things to do. So what we did, once we were like, well, <laughs> how about the opera? And we're like, well, let's just buy tickets to whatever is next. We're like, <laughs> opera. I'm laughing because I know what you got tickets to. And I so wish you had just checked with me first. <laughs> just gotten my opinion. But no. I went ahead and booked it. I did. And, and we're going, well, why don't you reveal? Because you know what it is we're going to. They're going to see Tristan und Tisolde by Wagner. That's right. So running time, running time, oh another thing we didn't look into, not counting intermissions, by the way, running oh time God. for the show itself is going to ring in at somewhere around four hours and 45 minutes to five hours. It begins at six o'clock PM. That is a mercy. Okay. Because <laughs> if it had, because I went to an opera recently that lasted four hours and it started at eight mm. and I was so tired I was I loved it but I was so tired by the end of it I like my eyes hurt you know when your eyes physically hurt <laughs> yes so it was funny because I didn't ask your opinion I think partly because it was late at night when we were having this discussion I must I mean maybe you would have been up I feel like it was around 9 p.m <laughs> our time where we were having this discussion about doing something different and I mentioned what if we went to an opera and on a whim bought those tickets and then I get my first hint that something, that this may have been an unwise choice because I went to an event where I ran into a man I know from the radio industry whose office is in the back of the new Seattle Opera House because he works for Classic King FM, the classic music station. I said, we're going to the opera. And he got this like alarmed look on his face rather than a, oh, good for you, you know, which is probably what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Alarmed, looked on his face and he goes, you're not going to go see the new Wagner opera, are you? And I said, um, yeah. And he goes, <laughs> and he says, oh, you know, that's not really a like first time at the opera sort of experience. Yeah. He's like, it's you, not a gateway opera. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you, you might never go to the opera again if you go see that. And he's like, I would strongly recommend that you try to turn the tickets in and go to the one that's coming afterwards. Uh, which which is I think Feriata, is, right? 
Yeah, I can't remember. Didn't you look it up? Was it La Traviata? I looked it up. I think it's La Traviata, which is probably one of the best operas to wet your toes with. It's right up there. Yes, I had the same exact reaction. But I'm proud of you that you were like, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see Tristan and Tissold. Well, that sounds a little bolder. We did call <laughs> to see if, oh, we could, if we could change the tickets and they said no. Okay. So we are. Fair enough. We are going. But I mean, can you give a little recap? We should have recorded it at the time when you oh, gave your yeah. reaction. <laughs> My main takeaway from you, I even take notes of the things you were saying was um you know don't be a hero is one of the things you said like if you are in two hours in and you feel like you've you got it and you're about to like I don't know jump off a balcony or something that I should just go ahead and leave yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm the kind of person who I'm this I'm one of the most stubborn people that I know I wouldn't take my own advice I would be like I am doing this I am I came I will stay till the end that's just me but but that's I also an opera lover you know so you are just getting your feet wet. So I think, yeah, if you need to leave early, if it's going to make you hate opera or give you such a traumatic memory of opera that every time you think of opera, you're, if you think about that, that's going to be a loss because then you will miss so many wonderful operas. So I'd say go enjoy it. When you need to leave, you can leave. The problem with Wagner, if there's people out there who are like, well, what is it with Wagner? Why is Wagner so hard? My first voice teacher described it to me as, okay, this is probably before I had ever heard any Wagner. She said, when you go to see Wagner, you can't really sit back in the back of your seat. You're always sort of like sitting forward, waiting for a cadence. You're waiting for that moment when there's like a, a harmonic resolution to a phrase. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you don't have to study opera to know that there are some music that some classical music that just has a very distinct phrasing to it, you know, and it's very melodic, you know, it like has a Mozart, resolution. for example, it builds there's, the tension there's, and it, it lets builds, it go. And it, yeah. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, some music is just simply easier to listen to. Mozart is very easy to listen to, but Wagner, it's like, she's like, <laughs> when you get to the end of this four, five, six hour opera, and finally the very last chord is like, a tonal resolution chord. You're like, ah, you've been waiting for this one chord for the entire five hours and finally it arrives and you can like sit back. Isn't that an argument for why you must stay to the end? Because if you just leave in the tension, <laughs> I'll just like crash my car out of anxiety on the way I mean, home. I think she's probably exaggerating. I'm sure there's more than one tonic chord in the entire opera maybe at the end of each act you get one I'm not sure I'm not an expert on Wagner I just know I don't like it <laughs> I've been polling people actually both of us have and that is what our expectation is for this particular show is that that chord comes at the very end and like you said either you love him or you hate him so yeah I mean one of Derek's good friends and his father both love Wagner People who love Wagner, they are obsessed with Wagner. There's no like, oh, yeah, I like a little Wagner. No, you are <laughs> obsessed or you just don't have the taste for it. Well, one thing I can say, because you said when you were trying to, you know, you told me all this about how tedious and long it could be. <laughs> there's absolutely no melody. You did say, but at least at the very least, 
if you're going to go see Wagner, Seattle is the place to do it because absolutely. You said Seattle is what? Seattle Opera is the most famous what worldwide for doing Wagner? Uh, not worldwide, but definitely in the United States, I would say. It's probably number 1 in the United States, maybe in all of North America. No, there are a few German opera houses, particularly Bayreuth, that is like the most famous Wagner opera house. But Seattle is up there. I mean, it's they have a you know they're there they do the ring cycle mm -hmm. i don't know if they do it every summer or every other summer but you know i mean where where can you go in the world to see the ring cycle almost nowhere mm -hmm. um so if you're going to see wagner you might as well see it at the seattle opera but don't yeah don't be a hero don't like sit there and be miserable you know if you leave early you might be able to walk out of there and be like oh okay i you know i got something out of that Mm -hmm. but you get to the end and you're like, I hate it. everything about opera and your body hurts and your eyes hurt. And you know, <laughs> that's not. Um... And also, here's another thing. The style of singing in Wagner, particularly the female singers, it's very. It's very what they call spinto, like it's very, which literally means pushed. Again, it's not like Mozart. It's not this sort of clear bell sort of a sound. It's not even, you know, like an Italian romantic opera like Verdi or Puccini. It's what a lot of people in the industry call park and bark singing. Mm. You park, you, you stand there, you're usually, you know, the singers are usually almost as wide as they are tall, especially the women, because you need to be. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a stereotype for a reason. Like you need a mega, mega bone structure to be able to create that much sound. Because, you know, think about like, a cello versus a violin it's bigger in the wood is thicker and so it makes a more resonant and richer and lower sound so it's the same with a singer like the more the bigger your bones are the more your voice resonates within them and mm. so you've got these huge singers who just stand there and and they you know you it takes so much energy to sing opera full stop but to sing that type of opera that's just un it's just completely sustained. There's no, you know, you don't get a lot of breaks. It takes so much energy that you don't have any more energy left to be skipping around the stage and acting. You know, you don't even have energy to really be acting very much. You just got to turn towards that audience and you have to just belt it out. And so if you are a fan of A, the music and B, that type of singing, yes, you can enjoy it. If you're not, like if you're looking for a piece of theater, it's not, it's not going to be convincing acting, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe there are a few rare, rare exceptions to this rule, but when, when you go to see like a Verdi opera, it's very dramatic. You know, there's a lot of dramatic moments and scenes, not to say that Wagner's not dramatic, but there's just more, I don't know, more expression going on and more interaction between the characters. Whereas I feel like in Wagner, you're just parking and barking. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess I don't really know what I like when it comes to opera. So that's why it's kind of a wide open thing. I will tell you, this show got rave reviews in the newspaper. And here's one part I just want to read you so that you can, when we talk about, because what we're going to do is we're going to pause this episode. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to play, maybe record some audio while we're there. And then we're going to kind of come back together. In this episode, you're going to experience the whole thing. But just so that you can imagine a little bit about what I'm going to be seeing. 
they talk a lot about not only how talented the singers are and the, the casting, basically, blah, 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 but they talk about how the stage director and the set designer have made a quote-unquote game-changing version Ooh. of this Ooh. of this uh, opera. And here's what they say. Here, the character's world changes around them as video projections envelop the stage in consistently shifting locations from stormy seas to starlit skies to beautiful forest vistas. At key moments, a platform lift elevates Tristan and Isolde literally into a world of their own, surrounded by vivid swirls of clouds and stars as they hail a night of love. It is breathtakingly lovely. We see the universe change around the two singers as they are enveloped in a different and beautiful reality that reflects what they are feeling. Oh, that sounds really good. Mm -hmm. So who knows? That sounds interesting. Who knows? So, who knows? Yeah, so I'm looking forward to hearing your reaction, what you think of it all. And I should also put out this challenge before we pause and head to the opera. Is Tiffany, we have to do an episode about experiencing new things for you. Yes. So, so you need to be thinking about, and maybe by the time we get to the end of this episode, through the magic of time, you will have settled on whatever it is your thing's going to be that you're going to try that you've not done before or have very little experience with. And we'll I do know. another episode based on what you guys and, and if anyone has any suggestions, please, I because I'm, I'm kind of coming up short. I, I mean, obviously not, you know, you might not know what I've done and what I haven't done. But send in suggestions if you have any, obviously, things that I can do in Rome, though. Don't make me go, like, on a trip to have to do this or it won't happen. That's um, true. Yeah. So anything that can be done in Rome or in the area near it. I'll tell you something that I read about recently that I might want to try. Mm -hmm. It reminded me kind of of something that you did with Derek once. You said you went took a course of tracking animals. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. It's sort of like that, but it's it's not exactly like that. But it's uh, they organize this in the countryside around Rome. It's basically like I think a little bit of tracking, but you're going to try to see different animals, almost like it was a safari, but it's like the animals around Rome that live in the countryside, but they have like an animal one or they have a bird one. Mm. And the bird one, you know, you can see owls. And all these different types of, I think there's a night one. So maybe something like that. I think that's a pretty good idea. You should go online and sign up right now at an impulse. And then we'll talk about what yeah. my animal tracking experience was actually like. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe I will. All right. Maybe I will, Katie. I think maybe you should. I, I want to see you do it. Let's do it. All right. And, and I guess now let's head to the night of the opera. All right. Take it away, maestro. Hello from the Seattle Opera House. Katie and Derek reporting. Uh, we just arrived and we're sitting in the lobby having a cocktail before the show. Not overdoing it because we've been told that we should not come to the show tired. So we are having a cocktail and waiting for about an hour still before the show begins. And how are you feeling about it right now, Derek? I'm a little daunted, I'll be honest. We listened to a talk given by the dramaturg, and he said that the opera demands everything that you have to give. 
And I don't feel like I'm in a position to give everything that I have to give right now. <laughs> or you don't have much to give. We also got a bit of a lesson into Wagner, his life and his past. What state of mind he was in when he wrote this opera. And we did learn that uh, when he wrote the first act, he was... Let's see if I can get this right. He was living in a house outside of his mentor's house, his patron, basically, with his wife, but was about to get entangled in some things that roughed up their marriage. He wrote the second act while living in what the guy said was the equivalent of an Airbnb, whatever that means. And he spent the th- wrote the third act while living alone in an apartment. So that gives us some clues into his state of mind. We also learned that Wagner hated opera. <laughs> Or at least opera as it was presented in the day and uh, purposely went about to set it right in the way that he wanted it. Uh, And that he considered himself more of a poet than a musician. So that's what we know heading into it. And we're going to try to stay the whole way. Derek is determined to stay the whole way. Well, I (laughs) I don't know if I'm determined to stay the whole way, but I... The one thing I do know about this is that, um, is that evidently he never, he never really resolves a chord in, throughout the entire opera. And so it just sort of drags you forward. And then at the very end, you know, he finally resolves. And it's supposedly this big cathartic release for the audience. So it feels odd to sit through three or four hours of opera (laughs) that's specifically designed to make you anxious and tense and then like leave before you get the big release so yeah so I would like to make it yeah yeah we'll see you know and in this day and age when anxiety is running high it does seem interesting to go to an opera that might play on anxiety but I'm also really looking forward to it I'm expecting to be moved in some way I hope or at the very least, get some good ideas while I'm watching. So we'll leave it at that. We'll check back in uh, maybe later on. Here we are at the first intermission. The first act was about an hour and 22 minutes. We have no idea how long this intermission is. Derek, do you want to give any impressions about the first act and how you're feeling about what we've heard about this opera in reality? Well, it starts well and it ends well, the first act. There's a long stretch in the middle there that is a little slow. <laughs> yeah. It's lovely. I mean, it is lovely, but um, yeah, there's a lot of exposition. I was wondering that too, like if it's actually slow or if, uh, if it's slower, if our pace of life is so much faster that it seems really slow. I don't have a good, I don't know. I guess we got to go. I, I think we got to go. All right, we're in our seats now. Safely ready for Act 2. I did want to ask you before Act 2 begins. We kept hearing over and over again about how the music doesn't resolve. Have you found that to be true? Well, it doesn't seem to be universally true. <laughs> Definitely there are chords that resolve. 
Yeah, I mean, I was expecting it to always be like building and building and building and building, and I feel like it does. It constantly is going into resolve. That's my experience with it. I was thinking it was going to make fill me with much more anxiety than it actually has. Yeah, I definitely feel the music pulling me forward, though. I feel like it's drawing out tension for sure. First opera you've ever been to? I have been to an operetta before. I went to a Gilbert and Sullivan <laughs> operetta once. Okay. But this is definitely the first uh, canonical opera I have seen. All right, all right. And the lights are dimming, so here we go. Act two. Act two. Intermission after Act Two. Derek, impressions? Well, I really think Wagner stepped up his game. <laughs> In Act Two. <laughs> In Act Two. Yeah. I thought Act Two really beat Act One. There's a lot more going. I had the opposite feeling about Act Two. Really? And my main observation was as much as I enjoyed it, and he really did build the tension musically, I will say. But it did seem like, lyrically, I almost wished we couldn't read the lyrics because the lyrics are projected above the stage. Because lyrically, they just went over and over and over and over the same point. Generally speaking, for me, I started just ignoring the lyrics and watching both the orchestra and the people on stage instead. Hmm. Well, the thing that got me about Act Two was... um, so Tristan and Isold are constantly yearning for the freedom of the night, the kingdom of the night, as the place where they can be free and open and together. I kept reflecting on the idea that, you know, to me it's interesting because from like biblical times all the way through the Enlightenment, it's the day, you know, that is the period of goodness and light and God. And the night is a time of horrors, you know, the time of the devil. And it was really interesting to me, this idea that, you know, they're expressing that the day is actually all about obligation, you know, and duty. And the night is the time that they can be free. And it's the day that is the time of death and night is the time of life. And I thought that was a really fascinating turn. And it made me think about how romanticism, you know, Wagner's a romantic, right? And made me think about how romanticism is really this, um, a response to the Enlightenment and the, the Industrial Revolution. And you have all these people who are just schlepping to these dark satanic mills, you know, every day, working in the factories and this, like, Peaky Blinders world of, <laughs> of, of unpleasant work and obligation. And it's the night is the time suddenly where you can be free in yourself and with the people that you love. And how different that is from what came before it. 
and how relatable that is. <laughs> you know, how relatable that is. Um, it feels really modern. However, they're also talking about the night is like the night is a like what they're referring to is also death. It's not just the night where people go to bed and they can be themselves. It's also, won't you die with me so that we can be free of earthly obligation? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember reading a little bit about how, you know, Wagner really rebelled against the idea of opera as just entertainment for the rich, you know, and that his, his operas were existential and forced you to really struggle with these in, these intense emotions and ideas and I don't know I um, the idea of like death as sweet release also seems like a very romantic concept to me um, it does sort of invite you to, to struggle with that you know um, death as a sweet release is a so it's a big idea with the romantics. Well, so you're all in. Act three, act three being uh, much longer than the act that prior came to it. Um, so you're all in. You're, another two hours? Oh, I'm in for the long haul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The entire production. Do you have anything you want to say? I'm sleepy. <laughs> I, uh, I have two things that I want to record. One, I've been to many performances in my life, uh, ups and downs, the whole thing. And I think this is the only, the first, <laughs> perhaps the only performance where at the very end I had a single tear <laughs> <laughs> come out of the corner of my eye. I just, drip down my face you know not not like I'm weeping but just the single tear and the second thing I was thinking was um, everybody had such a negative impression of us coming here and it's like if we come to see this we'll never want to see opera again and I just thought like why you know what I mean not that it you know does it give you enough credit to think that you won't be able to 
to get it if you've never been at it before. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I, I did not... <laughs> I did not walk away feeling like I never want to see opera again. No. I thought that was a masterwork. And I'm, I'm excited to see more. Indeed. So, there you go. <laughs> and what time is it right now? It's almost midnight. But as it stands, um, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, me too. the magic of radio. Tiffany joins me again to uh, do a quick debrief after the opera. So I am dying to hear, what did you think? I have thought to myself many times, Tiffany, that there is the Katie that existed before going to this opera, and there is the Katie who existed after this opera was over. Wow. Life-changing. Life-changing <laughs> opera. Life-changing art. Yes. I'm, I'm shocked, actually. I'm, I'm truly shocked. <laughs> I was shocked, too, honestly. And it, and it crept up on me. Through the whole performance, I was sort of like, meh. You know, or, or oh. it wasn't like I was bored, although occasionally. But a lot of the time through it, I was thinking, I, wonder, I should remember to ask Tiffany what it was about opera. Like, why was this the form that she was attracted to to go into? And then by the time it hits the final aria after four and a half hours of opera, all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is why. What was it? You know, I think the entire play, it really tapped into my love of existential thinking, I think, because the entire play is about the two characters talking about death and, and not in a bad way, but in a what a relief it will be way. Like, I'll finally be able to do what I want to do. I'll finally be able to be what I want to be. Right. And then he somehow, with the magic of music and singing and not lyrics so much, but all of those things colliding, he simulated somehow the feeling of what it would be to die and made you feel very peaceful about it. And that is something I still can't quite explain. How and why was it possible? But I feel like there's like a deeper metaphor here of like the desperate desire to have the opera be over so you can have that sweet relief, <laughs> like the, the relief of death. No, no. <laughs> this is a, this is a Wagner skeptic talking. Yes. No, it wasn't it wasn't that way at all. It was you know, people who have been listening to this whole episode heard me tell Derek about the single tear that dropped out of my eye during one part of the aria. And that single tear was really completely involuntary. You know, I wasn't feeling particularly emotional. You know, it just dropped out. And it felt like, I, go, I think what's so marvelous about it is like he's managed to both talk about what he was wanting to get across, but he also did this magic where he made you feel it as an audience too. And that, I still don't know, that's some kind of alchemy. I, I've often thought about doing a different radio show 
than this one that would would be so complicated to make and I'm not even sure it's possible. But my idea was that you would take a human emotion or, mm -hmm. or a human idea, like the example I used to pitch people was that you'd make the show about hope and you'd explore the science of what's happening in your body when you're feeling hopeful. You would explore music that makes you hopeful. You would explore stories that were hopeful. And you'd put this whole experience together looking at the idea of hope from so many different directions. But my real hope <laughs> in this experiment would be you would feel as the listener whatever it was we were talking about over the course of it, which gets a little hairy if you're doing anger or something. But I wanted you to right. also feel that. feel it while you were hearing it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually possible, and it certainly would be hard to do. But somehow in this opera, he's taken not just like something simple like hope. He's taken like what it will be like to die and mm. this argument that it, it, like he's proposing, it's going to be peaceful it's going to be okay. And then he makes you feel that way. It wow. just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm at a loss, obviously not at a loss for words, but I feel like I can't quite explain it. And if I listen to the aria again, now my body reacts to it in a, in a very odd way. Like my, as we approach that moment in it, where you do feel this sense of relief, my heart mm -hmm. just starts pounding, you know, as if I'm in some kind of danger, which is interesting, or like I'm about to feel overwhelmed. But is that how you felt in the moment? No, not at all. Because I didn't know what was coming. So now right. I have the anticipation of what's coming. Oh, that is so, that is so interesting. I, it almost makes me want to see Tristan and Tisolde because I, I've only seen one Wagner opera live and it wasn't that one. It was Lohengrin, I believe. And it was not that, first of all, I was very young. Mm -hmm. I was probably in my late teens or very, very early 20s. And I don't know that I had the, you know, the emotional and artistic capacity to appreciate it, even though I was an opera lover already at that age. Like, I don't know that I, that I could go that deep as you're talking about. But I think another problem with it was, that it was actually a rehearsal. It was like the final rehearsal that that sometimes they open up to the public for like way cheaper for students or something. And I went with my mom, it was at Seattle Opera and it was in this huge opera house. I mean, like ginormous and it was almost empty. There were like maybe a hundred people, maybe 20 people. I don't know, there were hardly anybody in there. And it was the middle of summer and it was freezing cold in there. It was so over air conditioned. And we were dressed for summer and we were freezing and we were hugging each other the entire time. And we had our programs propped up against our arms for how cold we were. And we were shivering. Mm. I still think that that experience is another one of the reasons that Wagner leaves me so cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you should do it. I think you should do it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, Wagner almost never comes to, to the Rome opera. I am trying to think back if I've ever scene advertised of, of Wagner opera here. I don't feel like they do it very often, but I will, I will investigate. And at the very least, maybe I'll listen to some Tristan and Tisold. I've heard some of it, um, had to study a certain amount, but again, we're talking long time ago. Well, maybe to end this episode, I'll play that moment in the aria to go out because one of my All questions right. is, can you feel the same thing if you haven't 
lived through the four and a half hours that come prior to it or not? Probably not. I would say probably not. Well, I'll play it and then you all listening can report if (laughs) and what you feel listening to this one moment. It's actually the moment that ends the entire opera. So I guess, spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear the song that ends the total <laughs> opera. I'm not going to play the whole song because it's very, very long, but I'll play kind of where it crescendos. Into oh, really? I would line. never have guessed that. <laughs> right, right. It's an opera. <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Anyway, all right. Well, that's that's a plus, a plus one, a check mark, big thumbs up for trying the new experience of going to opera. I think it will become a part of my life. I don't know if I have the guts to do the ring cycle, but I will definitely <laughs> see another opera in my lifetime. I am not scared away. I'm encouraged to dig further in. If Wagner can encourage you, I'm impressed. (laughs) Thank you so much. Turns out I'm a lot (laughs) deeper than you thought. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye.